If we are more aware of what we put in our bodies than what we put on them, how can fashion learn from food? Season 10 aims to digest how we can apply the principles of farm to fork to fashion. And if we beckon chefs to serve a sense of self on our plates, how does fashion follow suit? This series will continue to share stories of creative people with a strong sense of style, but with the fashionable forces in food, who not only bring together beauty and purpose, but are able to cook up stories with heart, humour, and of course, great taste. Today, I'm chatting with Anna Agate Carell, winner of the Good Food Guide 2020 Young Chef of the Year Award, who has helmed the kitchen of the old Fitzroy and adds notorious restaurants such as Hubert's, Momofoku, and three Michelin star Noma to her impressive resume. Anna doesn't mind putting herself in the pressure cooker, but takes nothing for granted, especially when it comes to storytelling, community, and beauty. Like her food, her style is simple, tasty, and gives us colour and context while always offering a little bit more bite. I hope you can sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to Anna's story. Thank you, Anna, for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, now, looking at you from afar, uh, it seems that your kind of story is predicated on some kitsch Australian references uh, mixed with your like lovely European heritage and we probably have come to know your food um, as a as a kind of reflection of this so that's what I'd like to kind of start off and explore with you so can we paint a picture of the kitsch Australian references by understanding that you you were born in the big banana or at the big banana? No, in the big, in the big windmill. Oh. The, no, I wasn't born in there. My parents, my family owned it. My grandfather built it. My grandfather yeah. was Dutch and he, well, he finished the building of it. It had been started by another Dutchman and my parents were running it when I was so born. It, but the big windmill was a motel yeah, it's in Coffs Harbour. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's on the main road as you drive through just before you get to the big banana. You're yeah, right. And it's okay. a huge, yeah, it's a huge windmill. Um, my parents were, well, my grandfather built, finished building, as I said, and he... Um, my parents took it over just before I was born mm-hmm. and they were running it as a restaurant and a motel for probably the first three or four years of my life. And then they moved to Sydney, moved down to Sydney. So do you have any, you wouldn't have much recollection of? I don't. I've got a lot of photos yeah. and I have a lot of like family stories. I, a few years ago I got for, for Christmas, I made all of my extended family. We had one t-shirt left over which was like the merch they yeah, sold yeah and it's this like white t-shirt and on it it's on the back it says it's got the big windmill it says do it the dutch way and i got like <laughs> i got like 40 of them made for all my family so we've got it's a, it's a fam definitely a family story that we love to reminisce on but none of us go there anymore we drive past it but it's i think it's a little bit um it's definitely changed over the years so we can't really bring ourselves to go back <laughs> does the, that sense of humor kind of permeate through your family yeah a little bit I mean look like I think yeah for sure I mean we kind of look at all of our chapters of our lives like we we try and be quite humorous I think about stuff no matter what happens in the end my parents ended up having a restaurant in um on Glebe Point Road in a few years after that um and so yeah I don't know yeah I guess yeah (laughs) so food was obviously important to your family then yeah for sure um both of my parents were in hospitality. Um, my mum still is, my dad isn't, but they were running hotels before I was born. They ran um, restaurants and then they were both moved into hospitality education. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the main things actually that they were telling me as I was growing up, because around the dinner table there was they were always, you know, 
talking about restaurants, the problems, also the great things about it as well. But um, to me, it was very much like this is not an industry you should go into because it's very stressful <laughs> and very hard. Um, so I think when I finally told my parents I wanted to be a chef, they were pretty, they were kind of, they were very supportive, but they said, you know, if you're going to do it, you need to do a really good job because it's, if you, you know, it's really, it can be really difficult to yeah. struggle at it. Yeah. Yeah. So if they were dissuading you from that as you were learning about what they were doing, what kind of, what did they encourage you oh, to pursue or? I wouldn't say they dissuaded me. I was just aware of all of the potential hazards, which right. I think is probably a good thing So you don't go into it too, like, starry-eyed. Yeah. Um, no, my mum my mom cooked a lot at home um, and I think helped me develop a pretty good taste in food. So did my dad. Yeah. They were definitely... I remember, and a lot of my first like food memories are from those like first restaurants they own, or, or even the hospitality school they helped run, and eating like you know a zucchini flour stuff with goat's cheese. I remember that very specifically at being seven or eight, being yeah. like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" Like <laughs> looking back, yeah, it's definitely like the, those moments definitely shine for me. Yeah. Yeah. Are there other defining food moments that? Um, my parents put a lot of emphasis, like we went we waited until we were like I was probably nine and my sister was about seven and we went on a really big trip around Europe and we rented a car and we were driving through Europe in the middle of winter and most of that was centered on like you know staying at little countryside motels and going out to dinner and there was a big emphasis on like food culture as we were Mm -hmm. traveling and I and my parents always loved that and I, that definitely got passed on to me. Like all of those memories I have are of like the first time I ate duck à l'orange in Paris or trying like mulled wine when it's snowing outside, like just having a sip of my dad's like, you know, on a roadside stop. It was, yeah, lots of beautiful memories and they put a lot of effort into that, yeah. And, and we'll come to find out more about your kind of uh, integration of art and style mm. into food. But was that also something that you grew up with in those learning lessons and those travel experiences like... Um, an appreciation of art as as an experience yeah. of food Definitely. or I mean or yeah culture. I think you know I remember like my parents always appreciated and said to my sister and I often like you know when we went into a restaurant how beautiful things were and how beautiful the table was set and like that pointed out those things so they were definitely of note we also obviously went to a lot of art galleries when we were there yeah but um yeah I think the idea of like the beauty of a restaurant um, being like a lovely, uh, like an exper- a very um, special experience was really drilled. In, well, not drilled into us, but it was very. It was made very obvious and pointed out. Yeah. And aesthetics generally was that yeah. something that you? Yeah, I think so. And I, my um, both of my parents in particular, because we always they always put a lot of effort on just on like staying in very beautiful places. Or like when we stayed in Paris, we always stayed in the same apartment that a friend of a family owned, and it was a lot. Yeah, I think, I think both of my parents are very appreciative of the beauty in life and. Um, the beauty of travel and architecture and art and everything. So I feel very lucky. Did it feed into fashion as well? Uh, I don't know, a little bit. I think, um, I don't know. I think my idea, any ideas I have about fashion definitely developed when I was older. Okay. But my mum, my mum took my sister and I shopping when we were in Paris and obviously we, like we didn't, we weren't loaded, but we'd, we'd go out and buy like, I remember we'd buy like one little piece of clothing that we loved from like one of the cool stores on the Champs-Élysées and, you know, we loved that. Do you remember something Uh, specifically? I bought my, she bought, my mum bought me a, it was like a little, it was from Gap. Yeah. And it was a little, it was a knitted handbag and it was a rainbow knitted handbag and had rainbow pom-poms on it and I just thought it was the coolest (laughs) thing. Um, But my, my grandmother also made for that holiday, she made us two matching coats with faux fur collars. My sister's was red and black. 
yeah. red with black collar and mine was brown with like brown fluffy collar and they she consulted us on what colors we wanted and that was the one that we choose and all the photos of us from the, that holiday were wearing those like matching matching not matching coats yeah yeah very cute so obviously this european trip kind of had some nice lasting memories on you definitely yeah i think it was a big it was probably i think my parents waited to the perfect time to take us both because it was the perfect time in our lives to remember mm. and i think that's why they waited so like they wanted to go when we were younger but i think it was a good time and so yeah. you, your grandfather was dutch my grandfather on my mum's side was dutch and my grandfather on my father's side was spanish but yeah. you don't speak Spanish, right? I don't speak Spanish or Dutch, no, yeah. unfortunately not. I think, you know, my parents grew up in the time when maybe it wasn't as, like, fashionable to learn, your, like, a European language, another language. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I've been, it's been on my list of things to study over the years. I mean, I've been learning between, learning French and Spanish on and off for the years, but... Mm -hmm. Hopefully one day I'll get there. <laughs> so yeah. how did those the, those heritages kind of influence your day-to-day -day or your family culture or who you kind of saw yourself as a kid? Um, I mean, I think it was always very much like, oh, this is where your this is where your family's from. Like we spoke, we we definitely spoke about it a lot. My um my Spanish side of the family is quite, I have a huge amount of family on that side. Mm. We sell, we don't get together heaps throughout the year, we celebrate Christmas Eve together and that was always very special. Also, I remember I went to a Catholic primary school and the, all of my sac sacraments were really important, even though I'm not religious anymore, but it was like a time where all the family gathered together and my great aunt would like crochet me a dress and they would all come over and dress me up and stuff. I feel like that was quite special. Um, <laughs> But in terms of day-to-day -day life, I think it influenced our cooking a fair bit at yeah. home. And, yeah, I think it was in just always... Of the way you cooked, the way you appreciated food or the actual style and no, technique? Not, not so much specifically technique, more just, I think, the, like, focus on food and it being plentiful and also having... We, I remember having lots of people always over to our house okay. on the weekends when I was kidding. So the whether, joy of sharing Yeah, whether it be friend, family, friends or family and going and sitting in the backyard and making like a huge amount of food and everyone just sitting around and talking until late at night. Like that's a very strong memory for me. Yeah. Gorgeous memory. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, what I often find, I mean, being from an immigrant family as a lot of people in Australia yeah. are, that that immigration story um, can often hold a lot of value in terms of intergenerational identity. Yeah. Do you find that true? Absolutely. For you? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, look. Sometimes I feel a bit separated from it because I don't speak Spanish or Dutch. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, I do have like so many family stories to draw from, and I still have a lot of family who live in Europe, so I still feel very connected. Um, yeah. But is there the, is there one part of the story that like? I don't know, makes you feel particularly proud or I mean, resonates with who you see yourself as? I think, um, you know, on both sides of the family, there's so many stories. Like, it would take me all day to tell you them all. <laughs> but, I mean, my grandfather on my Spanish side, he was um, a founding member of the Basque Club in Sydney, which is, still exists. It's just around the corner from St Vincent's. Yeah. And he's got his little photo on the wall, and I love going there and, like, seeing him and being like, oh, or when someone says they're going there, I'll be like, oh, you know, my grandfather's one of the founding members. There's yeah. his photo on the wall. Like, yeah. And he was quite, he was very active in um, the Spanish club in the city as well as, like, helping more other immigrants from Spain move over to Australia. Yeah. My dad says that their house was a little bit of a boarding house sometimes, like, people coming and going and settling in Australia. So, yeah. you know, I feel like... They were uh, on both sides of the family. They were very proud of where they came from, and that's kind of definitely permeated into 
the fam our, how I view our family history. Yeah, and it sounds like there was a very strong sense of community that mm. um, your parents seem to have reintegrated back yeah, into your life. Yeah, definitely. I feel like a, like one of the that, like the times when I'm the happiest is when I have like all my friends or that friends or family or just friends around and I can cook for them and we can just sit down and enjoy a meal together and talk and you know have a long lovely meal yeah <laughs> for sure so this element of storytelling seems to thread through your story um <laughs> and to the point where you studied art literature and um, yeah I studied art history and English literature at Sydney yeah, Sydney. yeah. um I loved I got cooked on art and art and English in high school I had some really I was lucky to have some really great teachers um, and that's definitely where I ended up. I didn't really know where I was going with it, to be mm. honest, but I was interested in writing and I loved art. And I also loved the idea of going to university because it was finally going to school with all of my friends from all different schools and being able to go every day. I, just, I was so excited to go. Um, and it was great for me. I learned a lot. I, um, I ended up starting cooking before I finished my degree. So it took me like I did the first two years or whatever quite quickly and then for the third year it took me two or three years to finish that last year because I was working full-time. Yeah. Um, and by that time, I think in the first two years I was thinking about becoming a journalist. Um, Which again is a storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And then when I, I think I, I found the pool of, I, I got pulled into hospitality because I was working front of house while I was studying and I just loved the community aspect. I loved working with people, getting to know all these different people, working at night with all the like different, like especially I worked a lot in around Potts Point um, and King's Cross, which was really fun for yeah. like a 19, 20 year old. Um, and I just loved meeting all different people and you know. And then I left to kind of pursue journalism and I just was so bored. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, I, maybe I could have made myself less bored, but I just ended up falling back into hospitality, which is when I started cooking. Yeah. yeah. So I, I have heard you say that before, that you mm. fell in love with the culture mm. of the hospitality industry. Um, it is kind of crazy though. Like, do, are you attracted to that craziness? Is um, there a rebellion there that no, you... No, I think the thing that attracts me is honestly, um, there's kind of, I don't know how to put this into words. I was thinking about it the other day. There's kind of like a formality and a rhythm to restaurants and kitchens which is so like um so sacred and feels so um it feels so like it's like a ritual and there's something about like a restaurant getting set up for service everything being exactly in its right place it's bustling everyone's busy but everyone works together to make it happen and then mm -hmm. there's like the synchronicity of the of when a restaurant is running in like at full capacity and everything's going well or everything's not going well but it's quit on your feet problem solving and it's a lot of communication and organization and when it all works together it's like a dance like it's very it's a very beautiful thing mm -hmm. and often I'll find myself stopping when I'm at work or something and see all these different people working around me working towards the same goal um, and that's to have like a perfect service and that's a really beautiful thing and I think that's what really drew me to it. Was Even like, at that young age? I think looking back yeah I remember being kind of intoxicated by working for something because there's a lot of I think a lot of the time I was like why did why does anyone really do anything? Yeah. Like what it's, it, gave, it gives you like a very cement a reason. as questions. Well, yeah, <laughs> but you're working towards something and every night, that like even though they're little things like setting the table properly or making sure the tablecloth's correct or making sure the sauce is properly seasoned, those things are working towards the one point where that person gets that meal and, or the whole dinner service plays out and everything goes well and everything tastes perfect and looks perfect and, you know. Everyone has a great time. As you're learning all of this and you're yeah. kind of feeling it because it sounds like it was kind of this, almost esoteric thing for you, like a 
like yeah. you know, like a. Well, I found I found that the first time I worked a really busy dinner service, which was just when I started cooking. It was the first time in so long that I was like so fully engrossed in something. Like I could be complete. I didn't think about anything else. It was kind of like meditative in a way because mm. yeah. it's so fully engrossing. And it was really, it was a really great like settle. It was quite settling for me in a weird way. I was yeah, like, right. Oh, there's something that can fully. I'd take all of my attention and yeah. I can focus everything on this one like situation and I really I've always really enjoyed that yeah and do you think at any point you had your kind of those family dinner conversations where your parents are pulling apart the hospitality industry mm. with they layered into your your kind of thought process as you're working I mean, it would be hard to say exactly how, but I'm yes. sure they are. Yeah. Like, um, I feel like a lot of this, of um, like, make like, making the situation, making everything, or putting effort, putting definitely putting effort in because I think a lot like, it's it could be a really easy job if you didn't put effort in, but it can be it makes it a lot more fulfilling if you do put a lot of effort in. I don't know. Yeah, it's not really hard to say, but I guess of course they're all everything's cemented in my mind that they said, but it's very difficult to pick it apart so go, going back to the idea of storytelling um are you always attracted because I know that it does come out a little bit in your food but this idea of um not necessarily following trends but you know like appreciating the old but like wanting to turn a new chapter mm. do you find that ever filtered into your decision to go into the industry as as food as a mechanism of storytelling um I'm not sure. I don't think in a conscious way, mm. um, and I definitely think as my career's got uh, as I've moved on in my uh, as I've moved through my career, I've become more interested in like the past and how people used to do things and collecting like anecdotes and stories that go along with recipes or certain ingredients because I think that really enriches our understanding of an ingredient and also can open up new ways of looking at it or treating it or cooking it or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I think like I've noticed in the past few years, a lot of my reading in regards to cooking has turned towards like biography, autobiography or like semi-autobiographical cookbooks yeah. because I really enjoy the context. And I think that food without context can be, is really um, boring. And I'm also, I guess that ties into the fact that I'm very, I'm definitely not one of those chefs who's like, this food is an expression for me. Like yeah. I'm definitely, there's not so much ego involved as like, I'm the first one to cook this thing. It's like, no, I'm, I think there's a such, um, such like, uh, like weight on the fact that you're, you're, you're bringing a tradition that's existed into the, into the modern moment and not letting it die out. I think that's really, that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of context of fashion mm -hmm. um, and your personal style, you obviously said at the beginning, you know, that your your family life didn't necessarily kind of allow you to find fashion or you didn't, it wasn't. It just wasn't. It. I was it definitely interested in it, but I was not, I wouldn't say I was like a cool or fashionable kid. It definitely wasn't really on my radar. I yeah. think um, I definitely, as a lot of people had when I was a teenager, I had like a emo phase, which was <laughs> great. Love looking at those photos. Um, but I think I only really started thinking about fashion when I started actually having a little bit more money to invest in it, I guess, because I've never been the kind of person to be too into like fast fashion or, I mean, I've definitely indulged, but yeah. um, I, I think I remember the point where I was like, oh, now I've got a bit of money, I can actually go to the shops I've always wanted to go to and buy the things I wanted to buy. And I What moved. did that look like? It, moved, it meant me moving, changing from my wardrobe being mostly black to very colourful, <laughs> actually, because I could, I think I, I felt like black was just like 
whatever you could kind of blend in. But um, what did it look like? I think I just started going shopping. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I always loved, I think in university I loved, I went did a lot of vintage shopping probably because I was, it was, I was pretty thrifty. Yeah. And it kind of moved from there. I think, I, I think I just let myself try on or to try on things that I would have never otherwise tried on because I was like, well, I could actually like maybe buy it if I wanted to. The, right. first, the first thing I remember buying that I spent a fair bit of money on, which I loved and I still love, is was an Alice McCall, um, like... I think it's called Brodery Anglaise yep. Dress, yep. Um, which I wore to a wedding, which I bought for a wedding when I was like 21, right. and I just I splurged and I loved it, and I think that's probably what started it because I got I've just it was the first thing that was like beautiful that mm-hmm. I bought, and I just was obsessed with it, and I still wear it all the time. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure, but it's definitely evolved from there. Um, so, so people describe your food as simple and tasty. Yeah. Does that come into your sense of style? Yeah, I think a lot of my, I, I think most of my wardrobe, I, I've got a lot of it is simple, and then there's a lot of, there's, I have a few pieces that are really like standout pieces which I can match with them. Yeah. But I think as I get older, it's getting less, my fashion sense is getting less simple. Maybe my food is as well. But <laughs> oh, my food looks, I think it looks very simple. But I try to put a lot of effort in behind the scenes to make it seem that way. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was laughing at the word tasty because when I look at your Instagram, I yeah. kind of like, oh, she's, she's sexy, she's hot. Um. <laughs> Um, and I, but it is a, it's an understated sexiness that you kind of emulate. Yeah. Do you think that that's like, do you see yourself in that way? Um, yeah, I think it's, well, I don't know. I think as I get older, I'm definitely becoming more confident in myself. And yeah. I think that comes in habit. Like I wouldn't say, I feel like I'm comfortable, um, like splashing out and wearing like a saucy dress now when I wouldn't have been in the past. Yeah. Um, if I, if I so feel like it, but at the same time, I don't necessarily dress like that all the time. And I love I, I definitely love like when there is an occasion to go to like a party or going out to a dinner party or going out to a fancy dinner or to the ballet or something. I love like going rifling through my wardrobe and finding like the perfect outfit for that particular situation. It's definitely a pleasure of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's also a pleasure of mine that uh, at, which these days I get less opportunity to do having yeah. small children. But um, the actual regime of getting dressed mm-hmm. and like the process of it and it actually to to your point about like the restaurant getting ready yeah me, that's I true do like that rhythm <laughs> yeah. and that it's yeah like the process is that yeah for sure I feel like one a, a few like my closest friends and I will probably if I've got a, if I've got a party to go to or somewhere or somewhere we're going out to we'll all go over to someone's house and like have a glass of champagne put some music on chat get ready swap clothes and that's definitely like my some of my fondest memories in my life are probably those moments where yeah. just like getting everyone, everyone together getting ready I think there's a really nice um, that's really a, be- a beautiful thing, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, like significant moments in your life, you obviously won the Young Chef, Good Food Young Chef of the Year. Yeah. Um, and I want to know, was that, how did that feel for you? Was there a sense of pressure to perform in that kind of position? Um, do you mean for to get yeah. it or afterwards? Well, I mean, it's like a Yes, afterwards, mm. but the the idea that you're you're young and you're female, yeah, um, and you're you're kind of rising to a level of fame and or notoriety. Yeah, I feel a lot of I feel definitely feel pressure. I'm actually feeling probably the most pressure now because I don't. I feel like 
I, I won the award, I was working in a job and then I finished up and I was going to move to Europe. Yeah. COVID happened and then I feel I was like, okay, like there's nothing I can do right now about this. And so I ended up working at the Old Fitz, which was great mm-hmm. and loved it. And then when I finished up there, I've now recently just got back from a trip to Europe. So I feel like I've kind of done all of the things that I've wanted to do after winning the award and now it's kind of like, what next? Right. Um, and I try, I'm... I'm I'm curious to see what I end up doing honestly like I'm leaving myself I think in the past I would have really stressed about it and pulled my hair out about like what I'm going to do who I'm going to work for am I going to do something for myself am I going to work for someone else not sure yeah but now I've kind of I've realized that the more I like relax and still pursue doing the things that I love doing or working for people I love working for putting myself out there things will probably the right thing will come to me hopefully yeah that's the idea (laughs) I'm Um, sure it will yeah but yeah, there is a lot of pressure, I feel. I feel the pressure, but I don't know if that's made up. I don't know if it's real or not, you know. I guess it is real. Is it, is it pressure that you put upon yourself? Definitely, or, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I guess I'm just curious, as I said, because it is a, you don't find a lot of young females kind of rising to the fore. I mean, I think it's changing. It definitely is changing. I feel like I was pretty lucky. I came, I, the before, well, to be honest, before I won, the before me who won the Dress Room Female, there were three women before me. And then since then, there have been none. Or one, I can't remember. No, I don't think any. But we, there was kind of a flurry of us around that time. And I, I think now, it's like, like, there's definitely a fair few young female chefs, but nowhere near as many as men, as there are men, obviously. Yeah. But I think a lot of the, Female chefs who I know are really pushing. Like, yeah. I've always thought that there's that's one of the things that's going to bring this bring everything back around is the fact that if you have a gender dominance in one industry, the people the the people who are not of that gender will be, will have to work harder to kind of feel like they're being seen. And so mm. I think that's happening. Yeah. So being not to labour on the young part, but being a young person in a big role, how did you cope with? like the pressure of running a kitchen uh well i think for the first six months i was chasing my tail and i was very stressed and i was you know i i didn't have a handle on it at all staff that we had a huge staff turnover just because that's what happens when you open a new venue and um it was only until we had that second lockdown and i had like two or three months to just like i was basically sitting at home being like surely there can be a way that I can do this without pulling my hair out every day. And we did figure it out. We had the Fitz was a seven day venue, lunch yeah. and dinner. It was a pretty big operation. Our kitchen was tiny and our team was tiny. But it took, I think, a lot of the, a lot, the biggest way you can manage stress is by being super organized. Yeah. Um, and I put my focus on organization as opposed to, um, well, you need to start from a place of being organized. It's really hard to pull it back together. I needed that time to do it. Um, and also I started looking after myself a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've always been a big runner, but I got back into running. Um, I, I'll always tell anyone who asks me about the great things about meditation, even though people hate it. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's sort of, it's multifaceted and I think it depends person to person what works for them, but you just need to figure it out. <laughs> is running, is running the same thing as like being in a kitchen for you in that no, sense that you've just got one yeah, thing to do I guess and I like yes I guess that you're, when you're running you can't do anything else funny because I'm listening to you and I'm hearing like you you have this kind of desire or this appreciation for structure and kind of um discipline um but but you seem to be attracted to chaos or like yeah. easy 
spontaneous environments. Definitely. I think, well, I think that it's one of, I think I'm very much love both of those things. Yeah. I don't think I'm not very good at keeping a routine. I'm not very good at like going to bed at the same time or keeping a skin routine or anything like that. <laughs> but I love, I think I oscillate between being super organized and regimented and I need to have those parts of my life, but also being able to let go and yeah. kind of throw your hands up and just let things happen. Um, and I'm not uncomfortable in either in either of those situations i like to re i think i like to reset every now and then yeah yeah i'm I, wondering how that all feeds into what you wear because you know as a chef you have to be kind of fairly uniformed and and yeah. regulated about what you wear yes and I, I in my mind i'm questioning the correlation that that then has of you kind of getting more wild because yeah. your wardrobe outside yeah maybe um <laughs> i mean maybe i've always like i've always loved um, chef uniforms. I'm a big, even though it's so inconvenient, I love chef whites. I love wearing a white uniform and white apron. Yeah. Um, because I love like, I actually, yeah, I love just like having a uniform you put on and it means you're like there for work, there yeah. for business. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I like, I, I think I really have, I, I love getting, getting out of that on the weekends and being, or whenever I have time off. Yeah. Definitely. Because a lot of female chefs don't then necessarily go too far outside of the uniform, yeah. even on their days off. You yeah, know, they, no, they, I think... They kind of stick to the, yeah. the well, monochrome yeah. colours. And... <laughs> I guess I like to... Um, I'm just... I don't feel... I don't like to feel like I'm the same person all the time. I like... I'm not the same person. Yeah. But I like to be able to have, like, my work and then also, like, my social life and my, like, relationship, my family life and all those things. And I guess it's nice to have different clothes for all occasions yeah 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 oh, it, I think it, I think changing the clothes you wear gives emphasis to the importance of those situations like so I really like being able to like if we got if we go out to a fancy dinner I love to be able to wear really fancy clothes and kind of give that the right gravitas it deserves and the same with work I love having the right uniform and making sure everything is like so it feels right and so then how does that feed, so we've gone one way, but how does that go back the other way? How does that then feed into the way that you cook or, or your ideas on food? Um, I think I'm, I mean, I'm always very aware of the situation in which food is being served. And I was always very, like, I think that I have strong ideas. Of, oh, I wouldn't say strong ideas. But the right, I'm, I know I've spent a lot of time thinking about, like, the right time to serve things in the right place. But I would say a lot of chefs do that. Like how to start the correct way to start a meal. Should it be a tart? Should it be a little snack? Is it like is an aperitif okay? Like those kind what of things. What is it? Well, yeah. What is it? What's the perfect way to start a meal? Whatever happened to soups? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. But also, I mean, like working as I did at the Fitz, I was always like I definitely didn't get it right all the time. But I was always kind of find that middle ground that was like it's still approachable in a pub setting, but it's a little bit more than that, and kind of like. Um, finding that balance so people could get something, order something they recognised off the menu and be surprised. Obviously, I wasn't going to get out, like, my molecular gastronomy tools and get, like, gel swirls on the plate. But, you know, <laughs> it was nice to be able to give a setting which is usually very casual and very, like, a bit more slapdash, just a little bit um, of, um, you know, a little bit more finesse. Yeah, elevated. Yeah, yes. just a little bit. Yeah, not too much because then people get. So it's still, out. yeah, still within context, but giving them something a little more than what they come to expect. Yeah, uh, but that was also for our 
our pleasure in the kitchen because yeah. it's really like I had a really great team of um, chefs with us and it was to keep us excited as well mm. like what are we going to do what's fun what's interesting what do we think would be beautiful and tasty and what would we like to eat in this environment and yeah. it was really fun we had yeah. a great time yeah so you've worked for a lot of very n- notorious um, restaurants yeah. uh, and I can list them all, but you know we can we can discuss that yeah. in the show notes. Um, but they're they're different cuisines, they're very different kind of environments. I want to know, you know, whether it's Mungafoku or Noma, like what what is it that you found was consistent to you across those environments? Um, I think I chose where I worked because of gaps in my knowledge. I was really I started cooking a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I think I was 21 or 22 and so I was really urgently trying to learn as much as I could and I would I think particularly like when I really really wanted to work at Restaurant Hubert which I ended up working and that yes. gave me great foundational knowledge like chopping so many chives or brunoising heaps <laughs> of echelot making sauces like learning how to cook proteins like that was very important to me um Noma I was really I wanted to I intern there I was really interested just to see how those restaurants worked um which is crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, I think when I came back to Sydney, I was, I wanted, I, Momofuku was like, you know, it was such an amazing restaurant. And I just kind of wanted to be, wanted to work in a fine dining restaurant and put my head down. So I think I picked them for very specific reasons. And I wanted to be challenged. I, I've always wanted to be challenged. Yes. Yeah. So, so you picked them for specific reasons, but why did they pick you? Good question. I think because they, I think because they, probably could tell I really wanted to work there mm. and that's a really I think if you're hiring someone and knowing that they really want to work for you that's a pretty great thing yeah um but I mean yeah I'm not sure yeah but there must be you don't just get a job in those restaurants well like, yeah there, I mean, there's a way to differentiate yourself rather than just eagerness so yeah what? I feel I wrote well I remember I was actually talking about this this morning I, I ended up working at Hubert because I think a lot in the hospitality industry, it's also like, it's not who you know is in like who's going to make a phone call, but like, oh, I work for this person and then, oh, they, they work for this person. They can put you in touch. And it's kind of like relationship, relation, like you can, mm. it's always nice to know that someone who you work, who's working for you has been recommended by someone else. Yeah. Um, a lot of it was a bit of a fluke. Like I worked at Fyodor as my first job and I got in there because the sous chef at the place I've been working at before was going to be the sous chef there and they needed staff. They didn't end up, he didn't end up starting to work there, but I did. Right. Like it was kind of like a, so just a situational thing. Yeah. I remember when I worked at Hubert, I wrote a really, um, I wrote a cover letter to Dan Pepperell, which I think he appreciated. But also people, <laughs> chefs are not easy to come by as well, I feel like. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm cutting myself like I think you myself enough credit. Um, uh, and with Noma, I wrote an essay um, for when they had Noma Sydney, there was a competition called like Sydney Students, and if you wrote an essay on, I can't remember what the topic was, you won a free lunch to, at Noma Sydney. It was for anyone who was enrolled, because I was enrolled in TAFE. Yeah. And I got to go and I met Renee, and we got along quite well. And so when I was in Europe a few years later, I emailed him and I was like, hey, can I come intern with you? <laughs> um, and he said yes. But I mean, internship at Noma, it's three months not getting paid, living in Copenhagen, it's a pretty big expense. Yeah, it's but like, it's, it's number yeah. one restaurant. Yeah, it's kind of, it's it was exactly. a. It's you kind of do it. It's kind of like going to school. Yeah, you pay for it. Yeah, in some way or another. Yeah, yeah. And I met. And Paul. you don't remember what that essay was about? I'm really curious. It was about. It was the question was about the future of food mm-hmm. and where you thought food was going. And do you remember what you wrote? 
I've got it in my lap. I think I've got it in my laptop somewhere. I wrote about the um, luxury changing from being like caviar, like uh, um, salmon caught on the other side of the world or white asparagus from Mexico or whatever, like these premium ingredients, white truffles from Pimonte, that that was going to have to change because it's unsustainable mm-hmm. and that the future of luxury will be in locality mm-hmm. and producers. I think I was pretty right, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that was, like that was everything pretty... Everything I've read about you, that ethos still reigns true, yeah, right? Yeah, I think so. But, um, yeah, it was kind of... Um, yeah, just, it was like a, a thousand-word essay. Yeah. But they liked it. Um, and it was a great experience. It was my first very, very fancy dining experience in Nova Sydney. We were very, I was very lucky. Me and three other... Two or three other young chefs got to eat together. It was really nice. Yeah, right. Yeah. Are you still friends with them? Like they... One of them, yeah. 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 <laughs> that's nice. Um, so it's, I think that's really interesting for me because, you know, you've got these these bits of your story that are, you know, kind of taking from the past and, mm-hmm. and moving things forward and then, you know, one of those experiences is predicated on, yeah. on like, writing about the future of food. Yeah. Um, and then you've, you've gone and worked at the old Fitzroy, mm-hmm. which to me is like a bit of a circle in your kind of story in that you're bringing these ideas of your past like art and and Mm. literature in that theatre environment into a food environment. Yeah I mean having the theatre at the Fitz was definitely a a bit of a draw card for me. I loved the idea of um, it being like a multifaceted venue and it was really nice in that first year a lot of my friends were in shows at the Fitz which was great. Yes. but I mean, yeah, it, I think also the fact that it was just such a, it's such a historical um, place also yeah. is lovely. And also the fact that actually it's one of the pubs in Sydney that still has a very, very strong local community. Yes. Which I wasn't fully appreciative of the time, but definitely did over the time I was there. It was a, a huge um, blessing. So, so lovely to work within a really strong, vibrant community. And so is that, I mean, that sense of community and the way that you kind of were referencing food before um is it do you do you see that the future of food for you has a sense of like egalitarianism to it is that like you know when you're talking about not yeah. not sourcing overseas yes it's a sustainable um, yeah. kind of issue an issue of sustainability but is it also an issue of access and privilege and kind of concern about yeah for sure I mean I think there's lots of things. There's lots of things in that world that you think about. Like I think there's definitely still room for there to be a breadth of restaurants. Some the ones that are really expensive and ones that are really affordable. Um, I do think that like eating out in restaurants in Sydney is getting extremely expensive, but that's not really anyone's fault in particular. It probably could be more expensive so everyone paid their staff correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, some of the things I think about sustainability, of course, I think that um, making sure, oh, I don't know, it's important for there to be offerings that can that are accessible for everyone, whatever that be. I mean, I think there's been a, um, yeah, I think there's lots of different ways you could look at that. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of your experiences, you've kind of crossed over, as we said, a lot of like a lot of notorious restaurants in Sydney, mm. um, but their cuisines are quite different. Mm. You've gathered skills along the way. What's the thread that you see kind of 
pulls them together as a bit of an Australian identity on food? Um, I'm not, I think that that's like, as the Australian food identity is pretty hard to pin down. Sorry. <laughs> Australian food identity is really hard to pin down because it's so multicultural. And I mm. think the fact that all those restaurants are so diverse probably speaks to that. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I've found, I don't think I was ever, I've ever been interested in just one cuisine, mm. um, which I think probably comes from growing up, well, from being around so many different amazing food cultures. And it's, it's also, it's a, such a blessing for chefs because even if what you're cooking isn't like Thai or it's not um, Mexican or it's not like whatever, you have all those flavours to draw from and so you can think about flavours in a different way and I think that's really um, important and we're very lucky to have that. Yeah. Because our, our, and our fusion is often never clumsy, whereas when you go to France or a lot of other places in the world, it's very, um, it's, does, it's very difficult. It's a, it's a, it's butting heads, whereas here we're Yeah, because we're not it. resting on one particular thing. Yeah, exactly, yes. Yeah, right. And we have the taste for lots of different cultures as well, so we know what's good in many different cuisines. Yeah. Yeah. So your own sense of Australian identity? Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think uh, I was just living in Paris for a month and working there. And one of the things that I missed most about home was how friendly everyone is. Yeah. Now, that's not just speaking to the French, but I think we're very um, we're very accepting and generally a lot more caring about each other than. And that's one of the things I missed about Sydney or Australia. Australian identity is a hard one to pin down. Mm. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've got, yeah, we all know all the, all the cliches about the Australian identity and I think some of them are right, but, um, yeah, it's hard to say. Mm. I think. What about just yourself? What about uh, you, you, who you are and how that comes out in all your creative expressions? Yeah, well, I think the thing about, I think a lot, uh, I, I make, I draw a lot from, the past, as I've said before, like I draw a lot from the past and I put a lot of emphasis on what's gone before and different food cultures, oh, like researching different food cultures is definitely one of my like hobbies and passions. Um, and so are I think... Are you particularly drawn to Mediterranean food because you I mean, that's got... where, that's where it started. Definitely yeah. like Spain, France and Italy, but now it's kind of, I've, it's definitely gotten wider mm. over the years. Yeah. And I think that is probably a pretty Australian thing, like having so many different cultures which you feel comfortable with exploring. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I think just the reverence for reverence for different cultures and histories and feeling, like, comfortable engaging with them. Yeah. 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 So it seems you love, you love people and you, you kind of you, you love history and, and culture. I'm just putting it all together mm -hmm. because I, I feel like what... What I'm learning about you is that you, you kind of just love to explore. Mm, definitely. Um, and from a kind of a human cultural perspective mm. and then that comes out in your expression. Yeah, definitely. Um, I am not, yeah, I'm not, as I said before, I'm not very good at sticking to like regimes or sticking to one certain thing. I'm yeah. kind of all over the place. But I think and that's common, coming out in your fashion too, right? Yeah, right. I think there's a common thread through everything. Yeah. Um, but and what's that? I'm pretty, uh, mm, I'm pretty passionate about everything being like 
not not the perfection of we can say doesn't really exist but like yeah. being like just so like right for any given situation i guess yeah. or a particular circumstance yeah. there's a quote from thomas keller who's a chef in the beginning of one of his books i don't have it here right now but he says something like that is like perfection doesn't exist but um i want to look it up now i can't remember what the quote <laughs> is so perfection doesn't exist but if you're gonna like it working towards working towards that goal is kind of like what can give you what gives you like purpose and drive then you have you then you understand that there's got to be um like like the, the if something's really clean it's good huh oh what is it what is it when you acknowledge as you must that there is no such thing as a perfect period only the idea of it then the real purpose of striving towards perfection becomes clear to make people happy yeah. That is what we're all about. Yeah. Great that quote. sums up you perfectly. Yeah, it's a great quote. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think saying, yeah, it? and I think a lot, I've, I think, like, yeah, I think a lot of the time, like, when I choose if it's clothes or food or whatever, I think there's a big why, and that why is, like, it is to be to make, make you happy because you can't really do, like, or figure out what makes you happy. Yeah. And that's, what I think, probably why I changed, like, I changed my my the how I dress all the time like I won't dress two days like I'll dress in completely different styles on different days because that's what I feel like or makes me happy in that given day and I think sticking to one thing will, would make me really bored yeah <laughs> and the piercings and the tats yeah. what are they a reflection of yeah, look, I think I've actually just built up over the years, to be honest. This is, the, my nose piercing is definitely, I got when I was 16, when I was deep in my emo phase, yeah. wearing like studded belts and band t-shirts. And I always said to myself I was going to take it out by when I was like, I was like 21, and then I got to 21, I was like 24. And now I'm 30 and I just don't, can't see myself getting rid of it. And my earrings, I think I just went through a phase a few years ago of getting more of them, but they're all like, some from my mom, I bought a pair in India, and others a gift from friends. Like I just, and I wear these every day. Yeah. Um. Now, one of the, the learnings you've said in the past about food is that the that you need to taste it all. Mm. Um, is that kind of a, a metaphor for your motto on life? Wanting yeah, to maybe. Taste it all? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm I'm pretty determined. Like, if I want to do something, I end up I really conspire to make it happen. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, I like, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm I'm a huge optimist. Yes. I think. Um, which sometimes is not always like it's I could probably do with being a little bit more of a realist but you know whatever who cares <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know that the future is a little um, hazy for yeah. you right now but what um, what would you like to be tasting like what's what what, uh, what yeah. do you desire right now um, I think I'm really excited about the next the next generation of restaurants that are going to be opening in Australia in the next 10 years or so. I'm excited to see what the younger chefs and restaurateurs are going to do. Um, what do you think, think that's going to look like? What's the I, like, flavour to it? I'd like, I'd, I'd like for it to be, you know, be able to have a lot of fun with fun with food and not be so, like, not take ourselves so seriously mm-hmm. and be able to open restaurants that are fun and interesting and I hope that the general public really appreciates that instead of just cookie cutter not that all restaurants cookie cutter oh my god but like you know instead of just like like letting the people have letting people having letting people let go a little bit of um preconceived ideas of what a restaurant should be or dining experience should be or could be Mm. um yeah I think even though pop-ups have been a bit are a bit of a dirty word I think like short-term restaurants are a 
a really great way of expressing or one-off events or dinners or things like that. I think. It, I think you you uh, part of a venture yeah, we that's do, doing that, right? Yeah, we do. There's a group of us called Ten Hats. It's like me and my f- friend Elizabeth, who's a chef, and my friends Ella and Maddie, and we put on events. We started in COVID, and they started off as just you know we'd got just gone through COVID. Restaurants weren't open yet. Let's have a gathering that feels really good and really special. And from there, it's kind of evolved. But we've always kept that at the core. Like you know, it's the idea that an experience can only have, like restaurants are open for years and years and years. You could go many times, but what if there was just one night of one restaurant and it was like a crazy restaurant and there was like artists and musicians and um, it was in this crazy space and things changed and they weren't what they seemed. Like we're playing with that idea of uh, a rest, like um, a dining experience doesn't need to be stagnant. And so we've done probably like six or seven events now and each of them have been in a different space centered around some kind of meal Mm -hmm. um, and more and more we're incorporating um, performance art or um, musicians or artists into the um, like to collaborate with us on that Mm. which has been super fun hopefully we're going to do one in February right fingers crossed okay I'll keep an eye (laughs) yeah (laughs) and my last question Anna is how I finish all my interviews but um, you know in the future when you're old and grey what do you how do you see yourself what do you think you'll be wearing when I'm old? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's a good question. Yeah, when, you're not, when you're not the hot young thing yeah. anymore. Um, <laughs> honestly, I don't know. I, I feel like I've slowly gotten into like, um, I've got one fur coat, which I love, which I wait for every year for it to come around. And I hope I'll still be wearing that. Yeah. Um, I hope See, I'll full still... circle. You've gone yeah. back to the beginning of your story when yeah. your grandmother gave you the coat. Yeah, for, yeah, it's, for a diff- it's a different coat, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I th- I hope that I'll still be wearing lots of like colourful, fun things, and I won't like it'll definitely change. But I just don't want to. I can't. I can't see myself wearing just like black and moping around. I think I'll definitely still be putting effort into what I wear. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank for you joining so much. That was today. fun. <laughs> Thank you. Anna's not one to sit still mentally or physically, and it's this gentle restlessness that has come to signify her success and her style. Like a well-run restaurant, Anna is attracted to a dance between control and chaos, organisation and spontaneity, fastidiousness and freedom. And it's this precarious balance that frames not only her food, but also her fashion. As equally in her own skin, in her chef's uniform, as she is in her colourful, quality clothing, Anna ensures her style is always in context. And whether it's a family barbecue, getting ready for a night out, or prepping for dinner service, Anna finds beauty and joy in the rhythm of coming together and in the rhyme of community. And it is this which not only defines her style, but is at the very soul of her story.